Good morning. If you would open your Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. That was a beautiful song, by the way. Before we look at Genesis, I want to read a scripture from you. A very familiar verse, probably to most of you, from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness, that the man, or I'm just going to call it the follower of God, may be perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for passages that sometimes the meaning is not obvious to us at the front. But Lord, I pray this morning as we examine Genesis chapter 5, as we've been going through this series of Genesis, looking at what it means to be uh, created for blessing, Lord, help us to see it. Lord, help us to see the true meaning of this passage. Lord, help us to see what the author was trying to convey to the readers. And Lord, help us to grow because of it. We love you and trust you in Christ's name. Amen. We have been going through this series uh, through the book of Genesis, and this is our fourth sermon in this series. If you uh, missed any of those other messages, you can go to sermonaudio.com and look for Northwest Baptist Church, Houston, Texas, and you can find all of them uh, uh, and, and, and re-listen to them or listen to them anew, uh, whatever the case be for you. Uh, but here in Genesis chapter 5... Well, we find a piece of scripture that probably most of us are not always excited about reading. How many of y'all love reading genealogies? Uh, I would say this is not, this is by far not the most uh, laborious genealogy to read. Uh, It's really 10 patriarchal generations uh, that lead to Noah and Uh, and it does have much repetition to it, and I'm going to read it for you because I didn't tell you to read it before we got here. We're going to read it together. It won't take very long, I don't think. Um, But I want you to notice that this is a restart. There's a bit of a reset here, and we'll talk about why that is. If you would, uh, follow with me, Genesis chapter 5, and as I said, we're going to read this whole passage. Genesis 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God created he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam in the day that they were created. And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years, and begat a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. And all the days of Adam were, uh, after he had begotten Seth, were eight hundred years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were nine hundred and thirty years, and he died. And Seth lived in 105 years and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. And Enos lived after he begat, oh, excuse me. Uh, 
Yeah, verse 8, sorry. And all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And Enos lived 90 years and began, uh, begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan 815 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. And Canaan lived 70 years and begat Ma- uh, Mahalit. Man, I had this one down last night. Mahalit, uh, yeah, that guy, all right? Mahalaliel. And Canaan lived after he begot Mahalaliel. 840 years and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. And Mahalaliel uh, lived 60 and 5 years and begat Jared. And Mahalaliel lived after he had begat Jared 830 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalaliel were 890 and 5 years, and he died. And Jared lived 160 and 2 years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived in 807 years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 780 and two years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were 960 and nine years, and he died. And Lamech lived 180 and two years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah five hundred ninety and five years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were seven hundred seventy and seven years, and he died. And Noah was five hundred years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. For that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. And there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is a restart. If you were with us last week, we talked about Cain. Uh, we, we, we touched on the story of Cain and Abel, of course. We, we talked at length about Cain and Abel. But really last week in the chapter we looked at, this passage we looked at last week was about Cain. It was about his, his sinful line and about uh, how, how he just sin took him farther than he probably ever planned to go. And it destroyed his life. And I think it's interesting that in the book of Genesis, or at least uh, to this point and, and in the next few chapters, we don't hear mention of Cain again. Cain has been disowned. Cain is dropped. He's no longer mentioned, and God is starting anew. Of course, it restarts. We, we get a bit of a rehash of chapter 1 and chapter 2, where it talks about how God created Adam, and then we see how God allowed Adam to 
have a son in his image. And it's interesting that Seth is not described as made in God's image, but he's in the image of his father. Uh, I don't look as much like my dad as I look like my mom, but I'm in the image of my parents. Yet I would say to you, without chasing too many rabbit trails in this introduction, that the image, the Imago Dei, the image of God in mankind continued to be passed on, and I believe we see that because of the blessings that continue. So uh, we're going to walk through this, and I'm not going to go verse by verse. We just read the passage, so we're probably not going to read much of this again. But this passage reveals to us the first thing I see is the reality of death. We see the effect of sin. It's death. Sin affects everyone. Did you know that? It affects everyone. We, we see obvious effects of sin uh, around us all the time. We can read it about it in Scripture. We can read about it in other literary works because uh, uh, literary works are not often made up of perfect people because that doesn't just make anything very interesting. But we can see the effects of sin like shame, guilt, regret, destruction, pain, uh, uh, failure, discomfort, uh, so many things that, that our, our life is honestly marked nonstop by the effect of sin. We have fears uh, uh, about, about the future, about our, our situation at home, our circumstances. We have fears of those things because we're not perfect and we, we can't manage our own affairs perfectly. We allow sin to creep in, sinful attitudes and sinful decisions, and, and so we have reason to be afraid. Sin affects everyone in this way. Would you agree with me? But one of the most overlooked effects of sin in our present day is that death affects everyone. If you were to do a statistical study about death and about how many people die, I think you could probably guess what the statistics are of how many, what the percentage of people that die are. Yeah, it's Pretty much a 100%, isn't it? Although there is a guy in this passage who it says, well, we'll talk about that later. Um, but at death affects everyone. Romans 5.12 echoes this. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The reality is that sin affects everyone with death. As we read through this passage, we could see it over and over and over. Uh, This man was born, he had this son. After that son, he lived this many years, and then he died. And he died. Everyone dies. The only one in this list is the seventh one, Enoch, who does not die. And again, we'll talk about him in a little bit. The second thing I, I see about the reality of death, we see sin affects everyone. We also see that sinfulness grows. Uh, Look with me again at at verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives, all of which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in uh, in those days, and also after that the sons of God came into the daughters of men. They bare children to them. And they became uh, mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. 
really what this is describing more than anything, and there's lots of stuff we can get hooked on and pay attention to. We can, minor, we can major on the minor details of this, but really what we're seeing is that sin is growing exponentially. If you, uh, I, I, will, I will address the sons of God and the daughters of men just real quick for you. Some have uh, uh, suggested that the sons of God were some kind of fallen angels, uh, uh, eternal spiritual beings, and, and that when they mingled with man's daughters, then these crazy warriors were born. I don't think so. I think the sons of God are... Uh, the sons from the godly line of Seth and the daughters of men are the daughters of the, uh, uh, the ungodly uh, line of Canaan, uh, Cain. excuse me. And, and so really what we see, uh, we always see in Scripture a separation of usually two groups in the whole world, the saved and the lost, uh, the godly and the ungodly. Not godly because they're so great, godly because God is good and God is, they're trying to follow God. Um, and so we see that again here, and I, I would just give one more little reason why I don't think this is angels. We immediately see in the following chapter judgment on these people, but we don't see any judgment on angels, fallen angels. That's just my opinion. Take it as you will. We're going to move on. But look at how they uh, look at how they act. Um, it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And they took them wives. The sons of God saw the daughters, and then they took the wives. If we were to go to Genesis chapter 3 and re-look, re-examine that story of Eve, what did Eve see? You remember? She saw the fruit that it was good, and then she took of it. Listen, it's, uh, this is a restart, and we're seeing... Uh, some parallels that are important for us to notice. And what it's saying is that sinfulness grows. It increases. Sin unaddressed, unrepented grows. And eventually, uh, what's even worse, what we see here, and it happens in churches, it happens uh, uh, all around the world, is that people who are followers of God oftentimes will partner themselves up with people who are not. And this didn't work out well here. And it doesn't work out anywhere else in Scripture. God is not, is not pleased with that. In fact, uh, when, it, when it describes how God's uh, uh, reaction, what his reaction is, it says he's grieved. So, so the reality of death is that sin affects everyone, sinfulness grows, and divine justice on sin is sure. Despite mankind's persistence to sin, I would say this, though. And the growth of the wickedness of that sin, man has continued to enjoy the blessings of God. We see uh, thousands of years of time pass here, and men are still having sons and daughters. They're able to, to multiply. They're able to fulfill God's command that they've been given, and they're able to breathe and eat and live. I'm, I'm telling you, we experience the grace of God even in this sinful world. Even those that we would see, uh, those that are the enemy of God, those that hate God. Uh, We could name, I'm sure most of us could name people that we know like that. We could probably name famous people we know that are like that, that hate the idea of God and and see this God of the Old Testament and say he's a mean, hateful, spiteful God, which is not true. Yet these same people experience God's grace every day because they're breathing his air. 
They live under the roof that he has provided, uh, eat by the resources that he's He's given them, allowed them to have. Uh, God is continuing to show grace and long-suffering. And these men are fruitful and they multiply and they live very, very long lives, longer than any other period of time. Yet God promises to judge sin. Another parallel I see is that God, like the sons of God, when they saw the daughters of men, God sees the wickedness of man's heart. But... He was grieved. He's hurt. It's ironic, I think, that God grieved in his heart, is what it says, for what was in man's heart. God is a God of grace and love. He's a God of goodness. Divine justice, though, on sin is sure. God will judge sin. And in today's age, it's obvious to see how that happens now. Sin affects everyone. Sinfulness grows. I'm going to draw on another Bible story real quick, and I'm going to try to keep this short because it is a, we're going to jump books ahead and hundreds of years ahead to 2 Samuel chapter 11. You don't have to turn there. Y'all remember what happens in 2 Samuel 11? Anybody remember? It's David and and then there's this girl, Bathsheba. How many of y'all know that story? You know, when you, when you, and I would encourage you, you can go to Second Samuel chapter 11. If you'll read verses 1 through chapter 12, verse 9, you'll get this whole picture. What we see, though, in this story is we see how what seems to be a small, insignificant sin snowballs into absolute destruction. At the beginning of that story, David, who is king, and he's a successful king, and he's got his, he's got his kingdom together, it says in that first verse, it was at the period of time where kings were to go with his men to war. Guess what David did? He stayed home. So David decides, I'm, you know what? I think I'm going to be lazy. I'm going to stay at home. Then while he's being lazy, he starts looking at Bathsheba. He should have been at war. Now he really should look away from this temptation. And he goes from looking, from being lazy to looking, to now he's lusting. He should have been satisfied with what God gave him like so many of us, should be satisfied with what God gives us. He goes to lusting. And those those lustful thoughts lead to laying. It says that he laid with her. Y'all know what that means. David should have fled youthful lust here like Joseph did. The end of Genesis. He gets in trouble. She gets pregnant. Now he's got to cover up his sin, and he starts lying. David had an opportunity to tell the truth here, to do the right thing, yet he lies. Then, when his lies don't work, he decides, well, maybe I can get Bathsheba's husband to lay with his wife, and maybe if I can get him liquored up enough, then 
then I can get this covered up and they'll think it's his son, his child. That doesn't work either, though. And ultimately, what does he do? He, he, he decides to take the life of Bathsheba's husband. You see how quick that spiraled out of control? He just has a lazy moment, and, and he's just, then he just starts looking somewhere he shouldn't be looking, and he starts lusting in his heart, and he, those actions lead to action laying with this woman, and then he has to lie to cover. He's going to liquor this guy up, and then he, he takes the life of one of his best men. Why? Because sin, sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to say and cost you more than you want to pay. We live in a very sinful world right now. It's around us all over the place. And I would, I can't speak for every single one of you, but I would say probably all of us live a pretty sinful life if we take a, a real hard look at it. The reality of sin is death. But there is hope. We see some life in this passage. There's the hope of life. Let's take a look at four guys here mentioned. and I'm going to try to keep this brief. Enoch. Enoch in verse 21 is mentioned. He's the one who walked with God and he did not die. Enoch is, is one of two men in this passage who is said to have walked with God before the flood. The other guy was Noah. Why did Enoch walk with God? It didn't say, if you notice, if you look in verse 21, Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah, and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. So he didn't walk with God until after he had his son. At least it doesn't, that's the way it's described. It took place afterwards. And I think this is interesting because the name Methuselah, how many of y'all know what the name Methuselah means? If you were to take a guess, it'd probably be like super old, right? It means super old, ancient of days or something like, no, no, no. What his name in Hebrew literally means is when he is dead, it shall be sent. You hear that? I think Enoch heard from God that judgment was coming. And so Enoch named his son, I think led by the Lord, Methuselah. When he is dead, it shall be sent. Enoch walked with God, and we'll talk more about him. Look at Methuselah, though. This one is the one who has lived longest. Y'all know who the oldest man who's ever lived is, right? That's this fellow right here, Methuselah. He didn't make it quite to that uh, legendary number of 1,969 years, though. It's pretty respectable among his, uh, his peers here. But it does say he died, didn't it? Methuselah died. He lived the longest, but he died. His name means when he is dead, it shall be sent. I think Methuselah's long life then would be, should be attributed to God's grace and long-suffering. I don't know about you. I've always imagined that Methuselah just lived a really long time because he was just the guy who got farthest. He got, he got lucky. He got good genetics or something. Uh, of course, good genetics in this group is, I mean, that's really saying something because they lived to be over 900 years old. My goodness. I'd always imagine that. But when you look at his name, uh, when he dies, it shall be sent. It really kind of puts it all into a new light, doesn't it? 
I think Methuselah lived so long because God was withholding judgment. I think his lifespan echoes 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, and that all should come to repentance. Listen, God, what, is, what do we say about God? God the same when? Hello, wake up, y'all. Yesterday and today and tomorrow. So yesterday, is this a yesterday? Yeah, it's a yesterday. Uh, some people like to divide the Old Testament and New Testament and, and, and say that this was when God was a God of wrath and the New Testament is when he was a God of grace. But that's wrong. Uh, the Old Testament is, is God dealing with the children of Israel with grace and love and long-suffering. And then, and calling them to repentance. And then the New Testament is the same theme, but instead of Israel, it's the church. So Methuselah's lifespan, it echoes this idea that God is long-suffering to all of us, not willing that any of us should, should fall into condemnation and receive eternal damnation, but that all should come to repentance. What a testimony of that name, Methuselah. What, I hope that's deeper. It has a deeper meaning to me now that I've come to understand that. So we have Enoch and Methuselah, then Lamech. Lamech, what's, what's interesting about Lamech is that he is one who hoped. Lamech uh, looked back. He looked backwards. Look what it says about him in verse 28. Lamech lived 180 and two years and begat a son. He called his name Noah. And then he has something to say about it. He's saying, this same, Noah, shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of, the, our, of our hands. He's looking back. He's looking back at what sin has done to the world. And I, I think it's I think it's clear that he also is anguished by the fallenness of man since the garden and the, and the destruction that it has reaped upon the world. He's looking back and he's referencing those concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed because of sin. And because of this curse, because of sin entering into the world, he's, he's looking back, but he's looking forward to Noah who shall comfort us. I think ultimately God, uh, Lamech's confidence is in God alone to provide relief and redemption. You know what Noah's name means? How many of y'all know? It means rest, relief. In Noah's life, there was hope. There was hope. God, again, like I said before, he grieves for mankind as well, like Lamech. When we talk about God grieving, I just, uh, it says, it says uh, in verse 5, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. That's you know, an interesting uh, uh, wording. I think really just what it should convey to us is how sad God is about sin. God is not pleased by any of it. It doesn't humor him. Repented just means he's just, he's grieved and he's extended as much grace and long-suffering as he can. And now it's time that he deal with sin. Sin. 
Noah. What about Noah? Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah, the one whom God, uh, in whom hope rested, but in his time came a devastating flood. There's hope for life. In the world of sin, God brings hope for life. But let's, let's finish our time taking a closer look at what I think really is the, the parts that should shine to us most. That I think maybe the author would, would be pleased that we caught sight of. That is the lives of Enoch and then Noah. We see there the pursuit of a pleasing life. I, I, I struggled a little bit of how to phrase this third point, but I wanted a, the pursuit of a different... I had, I had different adjectives I was looking for, but pleasing is the word that's in God's word here, the kind of life that Enoch lived. Enoch, uh, how many of y'all know Hebrews 11? Hebrews chapter 11 In verse 5, it speaks about this guy Enoch. It says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was was not found because God had translated him. But before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. You want to live a life that has any real meaning? Listen, you ought to live a life that is pleasing to God. You want to live a life uh, that, that has hope of eternal uh, uh, peace like Enoch has? You should live a life pursuing, pleasing God. He, uh, interesting about Enoch, just three things we can see uh, from Scripture. He possessed great faith. If you go back to Hebrews 11 verse 5 again, it says, By faith, Enoch. Whose faith? It's God's faith, right? There's God's faith in Enoch. Are y'all with me this morning? It's Enoch's faith. Hey, this what is this passage? What is this passage of scripture in Hebrew eleven called? What is that chapter called? It's the it's the hall of faith. It's the hall of it's not the hall of God's faith. It's the hall of believers who had faith in God. And Enoch is named here. It's a pretty special place to be named in Scripture, by the way. And Enoch, it's by faith, he was translated. It means he was, he was called. It's the same thing that is described in, uh, uh, in, in, in verse 24 of Genesis 5. With God, uh, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. He was translated. Instead of having to experience physical death, this man was just kind of like... God said one day, you know what? We've been walking together for some, for some time together and I've been enjoying this. Hey, why don't you just come with me? Why don't you just, let's hang out. Come, will you come with me? He probably didn't ask him. He probably just took him. <laughs> because of Enoch's faith, he, he, his, his great faith, the great faith that landed him in the hall of faith, uh, he was translated. He had a relationship with God that was Intimate enough that God just took him. The, the second thing I, I see 
that we can examine at least about the life or the attitudes and the heart of, uh, of Enoch is that he walked with God. I, think about those words. He walked with God. You know, if you go to Job chapter 1 and it talks about the sons of God and, and they do something with God. Those sons of God are fallen angels, by the way. And there's one among them named Lucifer who, who, who is in that group. And, and Lucifer and the Lord have a conversation. But you remember how he was described that they, they walked how with God? They were walking before God. Uh, they came to seek audience before God. And God, God is reigning on his throne in heaven or, or in paradise at this time or wherever his sanctuary is. And, 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 and so these, these come before God. They walk before God to, to have an audience with God. But that's not what it said about Enoch, is it? Well, what did it say? He walked with God. My goodness, if we could get a hold of this in our life. Enoch's relationship with God was so close that they were together all the time. Enoch was in God's presence. Now, you and I, we both know uh, that 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 God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. But how often would you say that you walk with God through your life? What does that look like? Uh, my wife and I, we went, when we got married, we got married at 16 years and, I don't know, a month and a couple weeks ago. January the 5th, 2008. And that night, uh, after our wedding, we decided we wanted to start our honeymoon at our destination. So we boarded an airplane and we flew to to Florida, okay, which is like God's promised land number two. Texas is number one. Florida, pretty good there, except for hurricane season number two. And um, we got to Florida and you know... um, it was interesting when you think about when you get married. It was interesting. Something happened for Melissa and I that had never happened before. We dated for four and a half years before that. We were engaged for about a year and a half. Too long, she would say, and now I agree. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, every time we spent time, and we spent hours, many hours, sometimes every, every you know, several hours a day, uh, every, almost every day of the week together. We spent lots of time together before we were married. Yet, you know, uh, that, that morning on January the 5th, when we stood before God and our friends and our family and we, we got married and our lives were knit together in, the, the holy, in holy matrimony, what happened was something that had never happened before. We were suddenly together and we kind of stayed together for like almost 10 days. We didn't really part except for maybe like a bathroom time or something, right? We, we left the church together. Uh, our, we went to her parents' house and our friend picked us up together and we rode together to the airport. And then we, we boarded the airplane together and then we flew to Florida together. We had to stop in New Orleans together. And, 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 and then when we got to uh, Florida. We got in a rental car and we drove to Mount Dora, Florida together. And then we stayed in the same room that night together and for two or three nights together. And then we went to Disney World together and we were together and we were together and we walked with each other and we talked with each other and we were spending time with each other and we were consumed with each other because we love each other. 
And this is the relationship that God uses to mirror the relationship between believers and Christ. Marriage. It's beautiful. We should be together with him. We should walk with him. We should spend our every waking moment in his presence. We come here on, uh, to church on Sunday morning and, and, and we, we experience a spiritual high because finally we've decided to drop all the garbage that we've been carrying with us all day and all week and, and we decide to spend some time with God. And then we leave and we leave him here. We don't walk with him. We don't talk with him like we should. We don't depend upon him. Hey, Melissa and I were dependent upon one another. I had made all these elaborate plans for our vacation. I even checked out which restaurants we might eat at, and I knew what she would eat. We've been dating so long. I had it figured out, man. She depended upon me, and I depended upon her, and we've been doing that for 16-plus years. That's the relationship we, we we should have with God every moment. Enoch walked with God. He spent time in God's presence. He, he talked to God. He, he shared with him his burdens and, 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 and how it grieved his heart, what was taking place in the world. Because listen, Enoch, who walked with God, did not leave, live an easy life. And I don't know that because the scripture necessarily tells us so. I know that because he lived in the same sinful world that we live in now. It was just the, the, the pre-flood world. But it was a place of sinfulness and destruction in a place that ultimately faced uh, judgment. This morning when Melissa was singing, it is well. Oh, man. Listen, the only way you can sing that song and, and live that out in your life is by walking with God. Life is going to throw you difficult times and circumstances that, don't, that aren't what you would plan this life is going to take resources from you that you were depending upon. Yet God, if we walk with God, we'll have peace, rest, and pleasure with God, even in difficult times. Enoch walked with God. The third thing I see just describing his walk, that he pleased God. Uh, we have three sons and a little girl on the way. And by the way, if you want to send a vote like a, about a, like, or a, a name idea, hit us with it because we're kind of struggling. I'm not, I, just, I shouldn't ask that. I just got the look. Um, but, um, and you know, uh, one of the things that is pleasing to a father is when a kid is hoping to please his parent. That will, you know, if that's your attitude, it will adjust how you behave and the choices you make. Kids, uh, there's kids in here, not just my boys. Um, live your life in a way that pleases your, your guardian, your parents. And if you don't live with your parents, your grandparents, whoever, uh, because God has put them in your life to provide and to care for you and to guide you. And it is like, it's wonderful when a kid gets it. And it's hard. It grieves me sometimes when my kids don't get it. And thankfully, God is gracious enough to remind me that, hey, dude, you don't always get it. And I get to extend grace to my children. We should live a life that is seeking to please him. 
And that has, that has all kinds of implications and meanings. Uh, but, but if I were to kind of sum up everything about this passage, and, and we're, gonna, we're just going to move past Noah, and we're going to talk plenty about Noah in the next uh, week. If I were just going to sum up all of this, what, what, what I would say is walk with God. Right. This, this passage of, of Scripture, which seems kind of repetitive and boring, and it's just setting up some bigger story that we know a lot more about, this passage has a theological, practical meaning for our life, and that is we should walk with Him. We should live a life that pleases God, a life that we're, we're spending time with Him daily and by moment by moment, depending upon Him and sharing our desires with Him, sharing our, our fears with Him. sharing Because you know what? You can depend upon God. And the only way you can do this is the, is the same way that we see Enoch. We should have faith in Him. Listen, if you're here this morning and, and maybe you don't have a relationship with God, the beginning of this relationship is faith. It's not uh, going to church and starting to tithe. It's not getting part of a Bible study. Uh, all of those things are good even before you're a believer, but ultimately your relationship with God is going to begin in faith. Like it's the faith described in Ephesians chapter 2, by faith we are saved through grace. Listen, uh, uh, Noah is a, uh, Noah and the ark is a beautiful picture of the cross and of our, our God uh, and his love towards us and how he demonstrates love and how he, he provides redemption and relief and rest and, and redeems us and gives us forgiveness from our sins. Uh, but it's a picture of Christ. And Christ would come and Christ would live a perfect life and Christ would go to the cross without having anyone to make him do it. He did it willingly and he only did it because he loves you and me. And the only way to to have a a lasting relationship with him that means something that will give us the same kind of benefits that we see in Enoch's life that will, will, will rescue us from the penalty of death. And I'm not talking about just physical death. I'm talking about eternal death is faith in him. For by grace... You are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ, this is where it begins. You must have faith. But believer, if you're here, we need to live a life of faith. We need to live a life walking with God, spending our moments with Him, uh, praying to Him, depending upon Him, living in His presence. And if you don't know what that looks like, then just start doing the... just. Just go all in. When you walk out the door and you walk to your car, be with God. When you get in your car and you pull out on the 34th, be with God and talk to him. When you get on I-10 and that guy is about to run you off the road, hey, listen, don't yell at that guy. Talk to God and depend upon him. When you go to work, go with God. When you enter into that uh, uh, that that. Uh, uh, your marriage relationship or your significant other relationship, do it with God. Live with God. Walk with God. And you will live a life that pleases God. Let's stand together. Walk with God. Father, I thank you for your love. Lord, I thank you for the love you show to me.